I mean, I don't, I don't want to put your business out there, you know, on the podcast streets, but I, I think it's a little bit flagrant to be in the shower and also messaging the homies on Discord. Like, you got your phone in one hand, body all soapy, maybe a loofah in the other, and then you check in to see what the boys are saying. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. Nah, That's nah, nuts. Nah. So you got it all wrong. One, I wasn't in the shower. Two, I don't know like people do this or not, but I use my phone in the shower. Like, what's wrong about that? Like, I'm playing music. Okay. And I might be surfing the web. <laughs> like, I'm not doing none of that dirty stuff because I don't feel like the shower is really the place for me to do mm-hmm. it. But, like, I'll go on Twitter, you know, or Facebook or Instagram mm-hmm. in the shower. Have my back in the water and then you know i'm holding my holding my arm out so my phone doesn't get wet obviously you can't use a wet phone so you got the arm out the shower like outside of the curtain entirely no 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 out of the water okay. in the shower okay yeah what's the problem Ah, uh, that's crazy to me i don't know like i i put music on too but what what if you want to change the song well, my playlists are fire, so I mean, I could let it breathe for three or four tracks. Like, I'm not worried about that. <laughs> but I, I, I just, I can't imagine like being desperate to see like what's going on on Twitter. For you know, the shower is a place to reflect and like be in be in peace, right? And and you are bringing it up, you on your Discord, you know, you're on Twitch, you know, watching Animal Crossing or something while your butt ass naked, shampooing <laughs> your hair. It's crazy to me. hey man we all have you know some some stuff that we do personally yeah all right bro what's going on everybody welcome to episode 69 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as always by Joey Carrion. And before we move any further into the show, I think that the honorable, no, the respectful thing to do would be to take a minute to recognize some of the brave men who didn't quite make it out of this 2020 draft weekend. I'm going to read some of the names of our fallen brothers, and I would encourage you, Joey, as well as all of the listeners out there to join me and remembering some of the good that these men did in the past. And after that, we'll take a moment of silence as we pray for them to make it through the dark and hopeless future that they unwillingly march towards. Carrion Johnson, Marlon Mack, Daryl Henderson, Darwin Thompson, James Washington, Aaron Rodgers, Hunter Renfro, Willie Sneed, Auden Tate, Dante Pettis, Justin Jackson, and perhaps the most tragic loss of all, Gus the Bus Edwards. You will be missed. Now a moment of silence. May they rest in peace. May they rest in peace. 
All right, on today's show, we are going to react to some of what took place in the NFL draft. Joey and I are going to go back and forth in a turbo speed rookie draft and follow that up with the discussion on some of the rookie landing spots and you know how we see them impacting fantasy. And finally, we'll close out the show with a look at some veteran NFL players who, you know, unlike the gentleman that we named at the top of the show, saw their fantasy stock hold or in some cases even improve this weekend. But before we do any of that, Joey, would you mind telling the people how they can support the podcast? As always, you can support the podcast by subscribing or following the podcast on all major platforms, which includes Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And you can always leave a rating and review as well as it helps us out more than you know. And then lastly, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the DFS Dose where you can stay up to date with the latest content from us. Yep, we've got some good stuff over on the Instagram now, Twitter, sending out clips on the regular. Make sure you check all that out. And let's get into the rest of the show. So this is what I'm thinking, right? A lot of Dynasty rookie drafts are going to be kicking off in the next week. Some may have already started, so we don't have a lot of time. We need to get this content out there for the people right away as fast as possible. So what we're going to do is a turbo rookie draft, head-to-head. Joey will get the first pack, uh, I'll get the second, so on and so forth. And I want the pick, a sentence or less explaining why. And uh, we're just going to go for two minutes, make as many picks as possible, see how many we can get, and uh, you know, just assume that this is a one-quarterback PPR dynasty league. Nothing crazy about it, okay? Alrighty, let's get it. All right, in three, two, one, you've got the first pick. All right, with the first pick, I'm going to draft Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, um, just going into the best offense with Kansas City and should be an immediate impact for their offense. Uh, second pick, I like Jonathan Taylor. I think he's very talented. I'd take him at 102. He's a talented back behind a phenomenal offensive line. And then with the third pick, I'm going to take CeeDee Lamb, um, most talented wide receiver in the draft, going into a great offense and could immediately push for targets. All right, 104, I've got Jalen Rager. I think that the landing spot is a huge boost for him, and he has a clear path to year one production. Um, with my pick, I'm going to take Jerry Judy, who can be you know the best wide receiver out of this class, going into a low-key uh, good Broncos offense. For me, 106, I've got DeAndre Swift. I think he's going to come into the league splitting touches with carry-on, but he's extremely versatile, and pass game usage will make him relevant right away. With 107, I'll surprise some people and take uh, Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, went to run it, went to Tampa Bay, and I think he can instantly become the starter there. All right, I've got J.K. Dobbins next. Again, you know, uh, not sure about what kind of volume he's going to see right off the bat, but I think that the upside of being Lamar Jackson's primary running back is immense. And then with this pick, I'm also going to surprise people and take Denzel Mims, um, wide receiver for the Jets. Just a phenomenal athlete and can instantly improve the Jets' offense. Okay, I'm going to go Henry Ruggs. I don't love the landing spot, but I hope that the draft pedigree and raw speed is enough to remind Derek Carr that you are allowed to throw deep in the NFL. (laughs) And then with this pick, I'll take Justin Jefferson. Um, He's just one of the best receivers available at this point. And he's going into a good situation in Minnesota as well. All right, I've got Cam Akers next. Uh, Much like Dobbins, not sure about the year one touches available in that offense, but the upside is super high to replace Gurley. Then with this pick, um, 
I guess I'll go with uh, KJ Hamler. And that is the two-minute mark. All right, so let's go back over this list real quick. All right, so 12 picks, not that bad. Two minutes, I like it. Um, so I guess this would be our initial reactions. We didn't really talk about who each other was going to take in this. So this is just our quick reactions, you know, if we were on the clock in sort of a speed round dynasty draft. So let's talk about the top of it, right? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jonathan Taylor is going to be a conversation that a lot of people who are in dynasty leagues are debating at the top of this draft. Um, you opted to go Edwards-Hilaire at the 101. Uh, elaborate. Yeah, I just think long-term, especially you know in dynasty leagues, I think he's the right pick at 101. He goes into the best situation possible with Mahomes, and Andy Reid into a friendly running back offense. And he was a good running back at LSU. Um, they drafted him in the first round, pick 32. So there's obviously that first-round capital that he has. And then fifth-year option definitely plays a part into it as well. Um, all these other backs are going to be signed for four years, whereas the Chiefs will have the option to pick up his fifth year, which they most likely will if this pick works out. So I think he is just the clear-cut one-on-one. Obviously, there's a conversation to be had with him and Jonathan Taylor, as Jonathan Taylor was really the most productive college running back like of all time, if you look at the stats. It's crazy. Yeah, over um, over 2,000 yards from scrimmage in all three of his college seasons. And, you know, the, the thing that I think differentiates them right away coming into the league is that you know, Jonathan Taylor only really has to contend with Marlon Mack. Uh, you know, Mack to me is just another guy. He's not really that special. But, you know, I, I respect Damian Williams. You know, he could have easily been the MVP of the Super Bowl this last year. He is a, a well-accomplished pass-catching running back as well. So I, I'm not sure. But when you just look at the draft capital that the Chiefs put into him, it, it's hard to argue. And especially in yeah. a PPR league, uh, you know, Edwards Hilaire's upside might be a little bit higher than Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, see, the thing is, is like, I agree with the Damian Williams take, but it's not about if we respect Damian Williams. It's about if the Chiefs respect Damian Williams. Very true. And with them drafting a running back in the first round, I think that says a lot about how they view Damian Williams as a part of their their future, in which will probably be non-existent for him. Um. So I like Edwards Hilaire as the first pick, and I agree that Jonathan Taylor is the 102. You know, if something crazy happens where you, Marlon Mack gets traded, you know, to a team like the Jets or something that could use a running back like him, then Jonathan Taylor instantly goes to 101 for me. But as it stands right now, a day or two after the draft, um, Jonathan Taylor is the second pick for me. Yeah, that's fair. It's worth noting Marlon Mack is in the final year of his deal, so I find it really uh, difficult to believe that even if he is you know, there and ahead of Taylor to start the year, that that lasts and that he has any future with the team beyond um, you know, next yeah. year. Oh, I just want to say, in, um, just with Jonathan Taylor, it's, he's going in to the best situation possible in the NFL. He's going to be running behind one of the best, if not the best, offensive lines in the league that wants to establish the run. So yeah. there's uh, there's definitely a case to be made for him as the first pick. Uh, that's a beefy line. And then after Taylor, you took CeeDee Lamb, which, you know, I like. Um, you know, I think people are downgrading his spot 
understandably, um, you know, it's not the spot that I think a lot of people would have wanted for him. But that being said, I'm not going to downgrade a the player that I looked at as the most talented wide receiver in the draft for going to a good offense with a good quarterback. Yeah, I mean, to start his career, the upside for targets is a little bit low, but, you know, eventually... I think that he surpasses Gallup easily and could surpass Amari. But again, it's going to be tough at the start. Amari just signed a five-year extension in March, and Gallup has two years left on his rookie deal. So it does muddy the things a little bit for CD's entrance into the league. Yeah, it's definitely very muddy for him, but he does have some things going for him. Like you said, he could easily surpass Michael Gallup as the wide receiver too, although a lot of people view Gallup as a wide receiver one he's had issues with drops so he could easily pass i mean gallup i was on one the, of those on people depth chart. i liked gallup a lot coming into this draft uh this was unfortunate for my gallup love yeah for sure and then i think the biggest thing is amari cooper's deal technically you know they technically could trade or cut him after 2021 mm. when he has no guaranteed money left on his contract after that year so we could see amari cooper not with the cowboys you know in a year or two and then cd lamb instantly moves up to their wide receiver one and is just the building piece uh for the for the cowboys offense yeah um you know if he falls in your dynasty draft i would not uh be shy about taking him anywhere after 103 um to be honest and i think that some people are going to prioritize rager i think some people are going to prioritize you know one of dobbins or acres or maybe even swift but i, I love lamb there after cd lamb i took jalen rager what are your thoughts about rager i mean i love him at 104 in this hypothetical draft obviously he he's going into the best spot out of any rookie I, in my opinion, that includes running backs, you know, minus Joe Burrow, quarterbacks, and tight ends. I think Rager is going in to the best spot on the board with the Philadelphia Eagles, who had no wide receivers last year. They still have Alshon, who's an old man, and Deshaun Jackson is on his last limb in the NFL. So I love Rager, especially at the fourth pick, and I think he can instantly come in and and be a key contributor for Carson Wentz and the Eagles offense. Yeah, for sure. The pedigree uh, catapults him right ahead of, you know, guys like Greg Ward, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, and like you said, Alshon Djax. They're old men. It's time to let the young guns shine. Um, after that, you went with Jerry Judy. And Judy was considered, I think, or regarded to be going probably higher than 105 in rookie drafts coming into the draft. His landing spot doesn't seem to be doing him favors in terms of uh, public perception. What do you think about Judy here? Yeah, I think Judy is a very talented wide receiver, and he's a great route runner. So I do like the spot for him with the Denver Broncos alongside Cortland Sutton, you know, two very different wide receivers that, you know, can both shine in the Broncos offense. The only thing is, is Drew Locke capable enough of supporting two good fantasy wide receivers. Cortland Sutton was a great fantasy wide receiver last year, but his production kind of dipped when Drew Locke took over as a starter when he came back from his thumb injury. So that's just my only issue with uh, Jerry Judy and the landing spot is Drew Locke. 
Yeah, I see I see this playing out in one of two ways. Either Drew Locke takes a major step forward and uh, he is the type of quarterback that can support both Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy. Uh, and if that doesn't happen, I think the Broncos will move on because there won't really be any excuses with such a loaded offense. Sutton, Judy, the other receivers they drafted, they had Hamler, they have Noah Fant still. Like if, if Locke can't do it in the second year, I wouldn't be shocked to see them uh, move on from him. So I don't think Judy's long-term quarterback is necessarily glued to Locke. And if it if it is, then it's probably because he's taking a step forward. Um, and after that, I went with DeAndre Swift. Maybe I'm a little biased as a Lions fan, so I'll let you uh, start off with Swift here. Yeah, I mean, DeAndre Swift was regarded as the best running back coming into the draft. Obviously, a murky landing spot with the Lions and, you know, on Johnson already established there. But he's missed 14 games in the last two years since he came into the league. So, I mean, I like to pick up for the Lions. I think it adds a different dynamic to their backfield. And, you know, I think it just shows that they want to focus on, you know, dominating the run game. And DeAndre Swift can easily come in and help you know, grow that philosophy. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of carry on Johnson, but the amount of games that he's missed is a serious red flag at this point. And to be honest, Swift to me at least is just another tier of pass catching talent. Carry on is a, a pass catcher, but he's not uh, nearly as electric as Swift is. So I, I have high hopes for Swift and I like him to produce early in his career. If we're talking dynasty drafts, I really think that these top six are the tier that I would want to be in. After that, I think there's a slight drop-off, even though a lot of these guys, I think, are interesting. Uh, after Swift, you went with my favorite guy uh, outside of that tier, Denzel Mims. Um, I mean, if you were following the drafts on Twitter yeah. from us, I mean, pants came off when Denzel Mims got drafted, for me. I mean, you could see the picture right up on Twitter. You might not want to, but it's up there. And... Honestly, I really thought the NFL was just a meme when Van Jefferson went ahead of Denzel Mims. That's crazy. Mims, to me, should have gone in the first round. He didn't. He fell. He lands in a spot that I absolutely love, I think, with a clear route to, you know, jump right over Brashad Perryman. He plays an entirely different style of wide receiver than Jamison Crowder, and I think that he could be the first true wide receiver one uh, that Sam Darnold's ever had. Yeah, I mean, he's just a, you know, freakish athlete. 6'3", runs a 4'3", and he has a insane, you know, catch radius. It's just the only thing is he was very inconsistent at Baylor, and I think that's the reason he fell all the way to pick 59 in the second round. But I, I think that's something that you can coach, you know. You can coach drops and, you know, make him focus on reeling in the ball with his hands and not with his chest, etc. So I, I, I like the pick, and it gives Sam Darnold more weapons. The only problem is Sam Darnold and Adam Gase. Yeah, the it's, it's the ultimate, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> like like battle between Adam Gase's ability to diminish talent and Denzel Mims' raw talent. Like, what's going to win? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think there's a good argument for Adam Gase and the way he has held back players like, you know, Kenyon Drake and Devontae Parker. He just gets so much praise for the work that he did with Peyton Manning, but it's like, it's Peyton Manning. Yeah, what, what, what <laughs> like, have you done for me lately? You know, it's like... Yeah, and 
he's just been one of the worst coaches over the last you know four to five years. It, it, I think that's a question mark of a spot for Denzel Mims, but the prospect, it, you know, you just can't pass him up in the first round. Yeah, that's very true. So after Mims, I went with Dobbins here. Who look the thing about Dobbins is he's he's good. He's a power runner. He's got good balance. Not necessarily elusive, but. I mean the you know the holes that can be generated by having Lamar Jackson at quarterback are insane. Um, J.K. Dobbins, they took him high, 55th pick in the draft. I mean, I think there's a lot of upside there. It's going to be hard for him to leapfrog Ingram in year one, I think. But um, you know, if Ingram gets hurt, it's going to be between Dobbins, Justice Hill, and of course Gus the Bus. Um, it's just really crowded out there, and I just I don't know how we see his year one going. What do you think about Dobbins to, to start off his career? Yeah, I definitely don't think he's going to, you know, have a phenomenal start to his career. And especially in this rookie season, you know, he's going to be at best the RB3 on the team behind Lamar and Mark Ingram. That's disrespectful. So I'm not... I mean, Lamar had 1,200 rushing yards and, you know, however many touchdowns. So he's definitely the RB1 on the team. And then Mark Ingram is definitely the RB2 on the team. But I think Mark Ingram's contract only lasts for another two years. So we could see Dobbins' value immediately spike, in those, and, you know, once he's gone. But as it stands right now, um, I just don't think there's enough touches for him in that Ravens offense. But I'm not, I'm not John Harbaugh, so I can't you know, say how they're going to use him. Maybe they use him at the goal line or, you know, maybe they give him a hundred touches this year. But yeah, I think the, I think he's a good prospect, just not the best landing spot. I mean, they've consistently underused Gus, the bus, one of the greatest running backs in NFL history. So, I mean, I don't know what I trust uh, in terms of their usage with these running. Backs. Yeah. I mean, on a, on a real note, I think Gus is a starter in the NFL. It's um, 100% facts. They they just won't they just won't free the bus. Nah, and they need to. But uh, after Dobbins, you went with Keyshawn Vaughn for the Bucks. Surprise pick in the first round. Um, full disclaimer: he probably won't be going in your dynasty first rounds. I disagree with that. I think people are all over this. Well, yeah, there. You know, I think there's some merit to it with him being drafted by the Bucks. Great offense. You know, he immediately steps in to a you know a great offense with Brady and Evans and Godwin and Tyler Johnson and his only competition is what's his name uh Rojo Ronald Jones yeah yeah I'm bugging his only competition is Ronald Jones and that's not that's not very much competition so I think there's a good shot that Vaughn becomes a starter in Tampa Bay and being a, a starting running back in an offense that is projected to score a lot of points this year, coached by Bruce Arians, who is a great offensive coach, I, I think that's one of the best spots that a running back could go to, and it's Keyshawn Vaughn. So yeah, I, I have him a little bit lower in like what I would call my dynasty rankings. I think. I mean, I'm worried about the middling talent and the middling athleticism, especially. Um, you know, if you look at Player Profiler, which I would also recommend for anybody, it's a great website where it basically just will give you a comparison to their closest NFL player based on all of their athletic traits, their 40, et cetera, et cetera. His was Dalvin Cook, you know, a running back who famously tanked his value 
um, at the Combine with a terrible showing. Obviously, Dalvin Cook went on to be, you know, very successful in the NFL, but that's not a guarantee, and I think it's more uh, unlikely of somebody with that athletic profile to be super successful. But like you said, uh, you know, the landing spot is just insane with this offense that the Bucks have built, so the upside is there. You know, I don't I don't hate the pick, but I, I would prefer Cam Akers, who I took afterwards, just because I think he is a better talent. Again, like J.K. Dobbins, coming into a complicated situation. Obviously, Todd Gurley is gone, but, you know, Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown, you know, these are guys that are susceptible to being passed on the depth chart. So I like Cam Akers, um, you know, sort of to be that replacement for Gurley sooner rather than later in L.A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like K-Makers a lot, too. I think he instantly becomes a starter. But they also, you know, do have Henderson there. I know you just touched on it. But I think there's going to be a, you know, running back competition between the two. Yeah, that's possible. Um, So after Akers, you went with uh, Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, who landed in Minnesota. What what did you like about Jefferson here uh, at the end of a first round in Dynasty? Yeah, so I think this is just best player available. Um, I think that's how I went. Justin Jefferson was phenomenal in college. He had 1,500 receiving yards in in that Joe Burrow-led offense last year at LSU. 91% catch rate, ran a 4-4 at the combine, 6'1". He's just a prototype NFL wide receiver. Um, I think he's just ready to come in and be productive. The only wrinkle is that he mainly played in the slot in LSU when he's viewed as a slot receiver in the NFL. And the Vikings drafted him, and they have Adam Thielen, who mainly plays in the slot. So that's definitely a situation to monitor. Um, Who knows if they move Jefferson outside or move Thielen outside or, you know, run like a 50-50 split of the two in the slot. But I I think he's just the best player available at this point in in the draft, so... I, I agree with that. I think Justin Jefferson has a lot of upside to be sort of a, a Jarvis Landry type in the NFL. He's a little bit bigger, I believe, but... Uh, he's a lot a bit bigger. Yeah, yeah. Maybe more in the Cooper Cup mold of, of like, big slot. Uh, maybe even, like, Adam Thielen, for example, on, on his own team. I just... I can't get past that that landing spot. It's like Adam Thielen plays, plays primarily in the slot, and then they just draft a slot receiver when, really, they have nothing outside of, uh, of Thielen at receiver until now so the fit i think is questionable but the player's talent i think will ultimately win out and thielen is getting up there in age as well so uh, for dynasty i don't mind it especially uh, i mean he's a first round pick no no matter which way you slice it so at at 111 i'm down with that pick and i followed that up with rugs i don't think you're gonna see henry rugs fall this far in most dynasty drafts he was the first wide receiver taken after all but um you know like i said jokingly i Derek Carr, not great at throwing deep. Uh, we saw Tyrell, the Gazelle Williams, basically his value died as soon as Derek Carr became his quarterback. And we just have to hope that Ruggs, I mean, Ruggs is a, another tier of player than Tyrell, but but even so, like we just need to see if Derek Carr can get him the ball. There's definitely some merit to doubting the fact if he could do that or not. You know, he was like 27th in deep ball efficiency last year, Um, although he was like second in completion percentage in the NFL. Like Derek Carr threw a lot of short routes. If the guy wasn't wide open downfield, he's checking it down 100% of the time. And the Raiders 
made a statement to saying like, all right, we're going to go get you these playmakers and, you know, you're going to have to take chances or Mariota is going to be the starter eventually. Another quarterback who struggles at throwing deep. Uh, yeah, especially and especially taking chances on the deep ball. I think they can both throw deep. Like, I think they have the ability to. I think they're just too afraid of turning the ball over. So, just when it comes to Henry Ruggs, I, I like the pick. I think he can be a good wide receiver. And obviously, when you know they're facing Tyreek Hill two times a year and getting smoked by him, they want their own Tyreek Hill, and that's what you know he compares to is you know like a Walmart Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. But it's just a question of can Derek Carr or Mariota support him in fantasy and. Personally, I don't think so. I agree with that. Uh, we're, we're definitely both lower on rugs, I think, than consensus. Definitely lower on him than the NFL was. I think it's just absurd that he went ahead of Judy and Lamb. Mm, yeah, that's you're, you're telling me. That's crazy. Uh, but, okay, so, I mean, personally, that's my top 12. Uh, I, I have it in a slightly different order than what our, our little mock draft there came out to be. But, you know, that is my top 12 dynasty players is there anybody who didn't make the list that you would take ahead of any of these guys uh at the bottom of the first round depending on the person and how you view them brandon iu can def can definitely sneak into the first round this the niners traded up to get him in the in the first round so i think he can immediately come in and contribute and they had that interesting statistic where like his wingspan is like one inch shorter of Calvin Johnson's mm-hmm. and he's like five inches shorter than him in height, which is crazy. That is crazy. I think Ayuk's upside is there, but they are he's also going into a run first offense, which will definitely hurt his production. And at best he'll be the third option in the passing game behind Kittle and Samuel. Yeah, I don't think it'll be hard for him to slot in at wide receiver two. They've really only got Dante Pettis there. He's a certified scrub. So I do think that Ayuk you know, he'll get snaps. It's just a matter of, you know, this team being so so run heavy. Um, yeah, I do like him there sort of at the top of the second in a dynasty draft. I'm also bullish on T. Higgins. Um, you know, he's physical. He was the first pick in round two to the Bengals. I like the upside of being able to enter the league uh, enter camp with Joe Burrow and have them grow together. You know, AJ Green is a year-to-year proposition at this point. I mean, he's barely played in recent memory. You know, I think T. Higgins is an immediate upgrade as far as being, you know, a, a physical, you know, deep ball sort of red zone weapon to Auden Tate. And, you know, John Ross's future, I think, is uncertain with the Bengals at this point. Uh, he may or may not continue to grow, or he may just sort of stay at the level he's been in, in which case I think the Bengals would move on sooner rather than later. I really only look at Tyler Boyd as, you know, the wide receiver that's safe in Cincinnati. So I think T. Higgins' role to usage is pretty clear, and I think that being able to be a rookie and grow with Joe Burrow is is a good thing, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's definitely a favorable situation for Higgins. Um, I think he doesn't really have any production this year. Um, I think you're drafting him for when A.J. Green is gone eventually. And then, like you mentioned with John Ross, like the uncertainty around him and how he's been injured, they might be willing to move on if uh, T. Higgins works out. So 
I think that's more of a long-term outlook with T. Higgins in terms of, you know, dynasty, but it could definitely pay off in the second round. I, I don't think he's a first-round pick, though. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. Um, anybody else you want to mention here? Some guys that you would target in the second round? So, in the second round, I mean, I think this is definitely when, you know, it's thinned out. Um, a lot of these guys that you're going to target in the second round are, are long shots to be contributors this year uh, and, you know, beyond. Um I wouldn't mind taking a shot on Brian Edwards or Lynn Bowden for the Raiders. You know, those were two wide receivers that the Raiders drafted uh, pretty much simultaneously. Wouldn't mind taking a shot on one of them um, in the early second round. And then if you're going to go running back, um, I think uh, Joshua Kelly could be a good pick. Uh, He was drafted by... The Chargers, and he could instantly, you know, become the RB2 behind Austin Eckler and could even push him for some uh, some work. So I don't, I wouldn't mind taking Joshua Kelly as well in the second round, but it's pretty thin uh, after that. Yeah, as far as running back goes, I like Zach Moss a little bit. Um, you know, he was pretty productive at Utah. Um, he's a good pass catcher, but he's not as good as Singletary. So I think that he kind of will jump into the – Frank Gore role in that offense, and it's it's not very hard to be better than Frank Gore, I think, uh, was in 2019. And we know the Bills love to run the ball. So, um, I don't know. I think he has a decent outlook as far as usage. Uh, and then a, this is more of a deep sleeper at running back. I don't think you need to take him uh, maybe at the bottom of the second round, top of the third round, but definitely don't waste a high second on him. He's going to fall, but that's uh, Darrington Evans for Tennessee. You know, clearly he jumps in and he's going to be behind the big dog on the depth chart, but he is sort of a one-cut runner. He's got a lot of speed, and if Henry were ever to go down for any reason, there's nobody on that Titans uh, uh, depth chart besides now Evans. So I I like him as sort of a player that, you know, if he were ever to get his shot, it would be a a good potential outcome there uh, in Tennessee. Yeah, I I think... I think he's a good, like, third or fourth round pick in Dynasty. Um, I don't know if I would use a second round pick on a backup running back that probably won't get any touches unless, like you mentioned, uh, Derrick Henry gets hurt. So Any interest in A.J. Dillon? He went a lot higher than some of these guys to Green Bay. (laughs) I'm sorry. That is, I mean, the Packers draft in total was terrible, but I think that's just one of the worst picks of the entire draft drafting a running back in the second round when you have Aaron Jones already established 18 touchdowns last year led the led the NFL in touchdowns at running back then you have Jamal Williams as the backup who is you know pretty capable as a rusher and a receiver I think that's just a terrible pick in picking AJ Dillon and I maybe they just want like Eddie Lacy clone like they're they're still hung up on Eddie Lacy. Mm. I don't know. Probably not. But like, I don't. I just don't understand this pick. I wouldn't even consider him in the first two rounds. Yeah, I mean, he's basically a big, bulky running back that also can't break tackles. So that is just highly suspect in in very many many ways. And then sort of looking at the second tier 
wide receivers. I think we mentioned just about everybody that I think is super interesting. The only one that I don't, I, I mean, Michael Pittman Jr. is interesting. He went really high in the second round and he adds some size to Indy's wide receiver core. You know, Campbell, uh, Paris Campbell's only six feet. Hilton is obviously a smaller guy and, and now Pittman comes in at 6'4", 223. You know, that's interesting. And also Chase Claypool for the Steelers. You know, if there's any team that knows how to find wide receiver talent in the second round, it's it's the Steelers. You know, it's going to be hard for him to have a good target share with Juju, uh, Deontay Johnson, and James Washington. But even so, you know, these guys, the Steelers are just so good at finding wide receivers in the second round that uh, it's worth looking at, I think. Yeah, I wouldn't mind going to Claypool. I think Michael Pittman Jr. could easily be a steal in the second round. I think he could instantly step in and be the wide receiver two behind T.Y. Hilton. Um, and he gives Phillip Rivers, you know, a big bodied wide receiver to throw the ball to in the red zone as well. So I think Michael Pittman is a great pick in the second round. I would I would draft him with, you know, like the with two point one or or two point two. Yep, and and then what uh about any of the quarterbacks or tight ends? Are you looking at any of these guys? You know, top of the second is sort of when you know, guys like Burrow, I think, come into mind if you're QB needy team. Obviously, if this is a one quarterback league, the value is definitely getting pushed down on any of these guys. But for me, it's really Joe Burrow and Tua that I'm interested in out of this class. Not too much interest in Herbert personally. And I could see the Jordan Love thing. Maybe it's not that long, but that would be a deep, deep pick because he has absolutely no upside to see the field this year. Yeah, I think Joe Burrow could definitely push into round one, um, you know, with the drafts coming up and whatnot for Dynasty. I definitely could see him being a first-round pick, especially if, you know, you don't have a young quarterback on your team, um, especially in the late first. I think he could be a phenomenal pick there. And then Tua, I think he is just a flat-out second-rounder. He most likely won't play this year, but the upside for him and the Dolphins is – you know, is great long term. So I like Tua in the second round, and then after those two, I, I think you don't draft any of them until like the fourth round in Dynasty. Um, Jordan Love has the best, like he has the best potential future out of these guys. I, in my opinion, going into Green Bay, mm-hmm. and he's going to be sitting and learning behind Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, I'm basically disregarding Justin Herbert because he is terrible. So I don't even want to consider him. Like, although he'll probably start this year and whatnot, like, he, he just sucks. Like, if you're listening to this, just just go watch some of his film at college. Just absolutely terrible. His head coach didn't even trust him to throw the ball in the Pac-12 championship game. Just absolutely terrible. No on Herbert. Love, all right. Jalen Hurts, that was a weird pick by the Eagles to draft him in the second round. They've just, they've just got trauma after losing Wentz. They just value the backup quarterback so highly that yeah, like, they oh, they say that. that they say that they don't have a backup quarterback, Howie Roseman or whatever. They they don't run backup quarterbacks. They're just a two quarterback team. Oh, mm, uh, whatever that, like that, that means. So I think I think it's Burrow and Tua and then. You know, you're just not really considering a quarterback. And tight end is, is terrible. So Yeah, I mean, we knew coming into this draft it wasn't a very strong uh, tight end crop. Cole Komet is basically the only one 
that I'd even really heard of very much uh, coming into the draft. He went high round two to Chicago, who also just let Trey Burton go. I mean... And signed Jimmy Graham yeah, to $10 million. Right, and I mean, I, I didn't even remember that because Jimmy Graham is so forgettable at this point in his career. So, yeah, I mean, Komet maybe if you like that, but I mean, that is like late second, third round or later. I mean, none of these tight ends are worth taking ahead of the quarterbacks to me or any of the ancillary wide receivers or running backs that you might like as sleepers. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. Uh, let's move on to our final segment of the show. And we're going to talk about some veteran NFL players who, you know, maybe dodged a little bit of a bullet this weekend. You know, they might've uh, been in shaky situations, potentially getting replaced or getting competition added. And they just got lucky. And now, the arrows up on them in fantasy uh why don't you kick us off here yeah i think one of the biggest winners um i know he's not on our list but leonard fournette has to come to mind as one of the biggest winners Mm. of the draft he wasn't traded um they were shopping him on friday so on day two so a team could have got him for like a fourth or fifth round pick I, i think we have to believe that and nobody wanted him so i think he's a big winner um, no running backs behind him on the depth chart besides Raquel Armstead. So I think Leonard Fournette just has another insane uh, year of usage ahead of him. Yeah, that's definitely true. I am 100% not looking forward to him getting stuffed at the goal line uh, repeatedly. Uh, but, uh, I mean, yeah, we we talked you know in depth uh, about Leonard Fournette on our best ball podcast that's going to be releasing sometime this week so you know it kind of muddies the situation there as well yeah that is very true somebody i like sort of in that same vein is odell beckham uh he was rumored to be getting shopped there was even a report that said it's a a matter of when he gets traded not if he gets traded i mean that seems strong to me i mean maybe he still does get moved but at this point you know cleveland didn't really add a receiver it would have been a good you know, indication that they were planning to move him if they had drafted a receiver high. Uh, I know they got somebody, I think, in the fifth or sixth round, but that's obviously no threat to Odell. And despite people maybe being down on Mayfield to Odell uh, after it didn't really pan out in year one, I mean, it's still Odell Beckham, still OBJ. He has, you know, wide receiver one overall upside in 2020 just based off his talent. If Mayfield takes the step in year three that we thought he was going to in year two, um, you know, Odell is in a good situation as Mayfield's clear-cut wide receiver one. Yeah, I don't know if I put any merit into those, you know, trade rumors about Odell. I feel like we've been seeing it for the last couple of weeks that he's going to get traded, and the Browns have continuously came out and said that those rumors are false and they're not trading him. But obviously, we'll see what happens with that. If he doesn't get traded, then, yeah, he's a huge winner in this draft. And then I think there's some other, you know, running backs that we can look at that are winners as well, like Todd Gurley and Chris Carson. Um, The Seahawks are known for drafting running backs early, and they didn't really draft one. Or not really, they didn't draft one early this year. So Chris Carson, I like his outlook for fantasy, and Todd Gurley, I think that just puts a vote of confidence in him that the Falcons, you know, didn't sign or draft a running back as well. So I think their stocks are 
definitely on the rise. Yeah, I mean, you know, Gurley, it's tough. Obviously, the knee is a concern. He still hasn't gotten cleared. There was a report that if he doesn't, it's still possible that his signing is sort of negated with Atlanta. I doubt that happens. Obviously, that's sort of a a function of the times we live in and the, you know, preventions that coronavirus is putting on, you know, medical staffs to, to be able to get these things checked out. But, you know, obviously the Falcons weren't concerned with it because behind Gurley on the roster, it's still Quadre Allison, Edo Smith, guys like that, basically irrelevant players, uh, you know, no offense to them. But um, yeah, I think that that's really bodes well for at least the Falcons being confident that Todd Gurley still has some juice left, uh, you know, entering his age 26 season. And then maybe a couple of quarterbacks here. Um, I put Drew Locke as a huge winner. You know, I am not a fan of Drew Locke personally, and I'm probably going to hate on him a lot throughout this next year. But you can't deny that the Broncos did everything they could to really uh, put him in a spot to succeed, adding Jerry Judy in the first round and then doubling down in the second round with another receiver. Um, they, they already had Noah Fat and uh, Cortland Sutton. So I think Drew Locke is in a great position, and he really has no excuses to fail this year. Yeah, Drew Locke is in one of the most exciting young offenses in the NFL. They also added his tight end that he played with at Missouri you know, in the later rounds, who ran like a 4-4-9 or, or something crazy. So they have a very good wide receiving core, not to mention Melvin Gordon and Phillip Lindsay in the backfield mm-hmm. to take some of the pressure off Drew Locke. Um, not sure how they're going to maneuver their offensive line issues because, you know, I, I don't think they really addressed it in this draft uh, as they wanted to focus on getting Drew Locke some more playmakers. So that's definitely a situation to monitor, but Drew Locke can definitely, you know, take a step forward this year in, in terms of fantasy with with the talent that he has around him. Absolutely. Derek Carr, I mean, they, they gave him kind of similar treatment. They gave him weapons. They gave him rugs, uh, Brian Edwards and Bowder as well. Um, again, this is kind of like I feel like his last chance. If he doesn't succeed with all these weapons around him at this point, I think the Raiders would be looking to move on, uh, and, and probably not with Mariota. Probably with a high draft pick next year if he if he can't succeed in this spot. Yeah, for sure. I don't I don't think Mariota is the answer if Derek Carr fails. Um, I'm I, I'm higher on Derek Carr than a lot of people are. I think he could be a quality starter in the NFL and he just hasn't had, you know, the the good receiving cores that some of these other quarterbacks have had. So that's why they wanted to address it. You know, they wanted to get him some playmakers and they definitely did that in this draft. So it's all about if he could put it together. And you know, I think it's just a wait and see with Derek Carr, but he's definitely a winner in this draft. No doubt about it. And then to finish off this list, we've got a handful of receivers and you know, I think all of these teams were in the running to address wide receiver or at least address it a lot higher and they just opted not to so some of these guys include preston williams for the dolphins Corey davis for the titans uh hollywood brown marquise brown with the ravens and i also put alan lazard on this list you know the packers who many people basically are saying botched this draft in a major way you know instead of putting another wide receiver around Aaron Rodgers in the first round they drafted his replacement and now we're in a situation where Alan Lazard somehow makes it out of the draft and is still the locked in number two opposite of Devontae Adams yeah that's 
that's just crazy. That's just terrible drafting. Uh, very suboptimal, negative EV, whatever term you want to coin it. Just terrible by the Packers organization to not surround as much talent um, as possible for Aaron Rodgers. It's not like they made the NFC Championship game or, or anything last year. So, yeah, Alan Lazard is definitely a huge winner, as well as Preston Williams, the Dolphins. You know, they didn't draft a wide receiver, which was surprising. You know, they had a couple chances to take a guy like Denzel Mims in the second round or even uh, uh, I'm blanking on the, his name. But they had, they had some chances to take a wide receiver. They didn't, so I think that's, that says all you need to know about Preston Williams and how they feel about him. And then Corey Davis, I think the Titans just want to focus on, you know, running the ball and giving Derrick Henry all the touches. So they they really didn't need to address that wide receiver two position. That's fair. I mean, still, I think that there, there were some rumors that Corey Davis might have gotten moved, which I think could have actually benefited him, maybe going to a more pass-centric team. But um, I think it would be also hard for him to get moved to a spot where he would still basically be on the field for all the snaps as the wide receiver two. Uh, without proving something Mm -hmm. he is still young maybe he could have a Devontae parker like uh late boom to his career where he is getting written off at this point but still has uh still has something left in the tank obviously he was the top five Mm -hmm. uh pick so that's possible we'll see how that goes and just another note on on uh preston williams i mean he was basically as productive as Devontae parker their stats were extremely similar until williams got hurt and yeah, Tua's probably not going to play this year, but I think that it shows that they do like Williams, and you know, Tua's a, a massive upgrade to Ryan's fit, uh, Fitzpatrick, in my opinion. So, you know, uh, Preston Williams would be a good buy in Dynasty if if you play in that format. I think you could probably get him for cheap, and he has some upside. Yeah, I agree. I love Preston Williams for Dynasty. And uh, I think that's all we've got for this week. Did you want to recap our terrible week with the draft props real quick before we get out of here? Yeah, so we've made it a point, you know, for this season of the DFS Dose to keep track of what we say or what we bet on and, you know, whatnot to provide transparency transparency to the listeners. So if you follow us on Twitter or Instagram at the DFS Dose, we posted our picks that we mentioned on last podcast, episode 68, of what we were going to bet on for the draft. So in total as a podcast, we went four and nine. Um I went three and four on my picks. I hit on, you know, Jalen Hurts in the second round. I hit on Joe Burrow hugging his dad first and another bet. That was a major um, sweat because at first, you know, Joe Burrow yeah. <laughs> was just sitting there with the stone face when he got picked. I mean, he had known it'd been coming. He just showed zero emotion. I was like, oh man, he's not hugging nobody, but he brought it back, <laughs> gave Pops the hug, just like you said all along. Uh, that was a real nice moment. Yeah, good good start to the draft, but then, you know, came pick 12, and and the Raiders picked Henry Ruggs first, and that just yeah. that just set everything downhill. So in total, I went three and four on my picks, and the ones I actually put money on because I did bet on the props, I went two and six, um, kind of messed up on one of the props and doubled down on one and lost one. Uh, so I went two and six, kind of bad. I lost a net total of $50 on that. And then Ben ended up going one and five on his pod picks. 
with the only hit being over five and a half wide receivers in the first round and lost every other prop he says because I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Like, I had a lot of my props sort of centered around the Lions trading down. Like, I, I you know, was all over Jeff Akuda to fall a little bit further than he did. Tua to go higher in terms of, you know, a trade-up scenario. You know, I just got baited, you know. It, it was all smoke, and I bought into the smoke, and, you know, tough scene. But we're going to keep uh, track of these for the rest of the year. You know, we're going to add more and more props. You know, I'm sure at one point we'll do futures. We'll do player props throughout the season. And I have... That's between each other yeah, as well. Yeah, that's between each other. Joey was talking absolutely flagrantly before the podcast started it's a shame that the mics weren't rolling and uh, i think that we've got some bets between the two of us that we're going to be uh definitely throwing down we'll keep track of all of it and i have faith that uh we'll have a positive record when it's all said and done yeah i mean that's the only hope is to you know have have have, uh you know a a net income not a net loss yeah so Uh, and we're not there yet so something to work towards but Uh, That's going to be it for us this week on the DFS Dose podcast. We'll be back shortly, uh, not exactly sure when, but soon enough with uh, some best ball analysis. And, uh, you know, just make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you know whenever we do drop. Got sort of a looser schedule on the offseason, but, uh, you know, we are going to be dropping content fairly consistently. So, you know, just uh, make sure you're subscribed and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff, and you'll see when the next episode comes out. Yeah, for sure. All right, so you can follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. My personal Twitter is at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on my new Twitter at Joey Carrion. DFS now decided to mm-hmm. make a Twitter solely for dfs purposes i felt like there was you know way too much was it what's the word i'm looking for way too much like personal stuff on my twitter as well as fantasy stuff and it's like you know i follow a bunch of people that you know have nothing to do with fantasy and whatnot so i just wanted to make a separate twitter where i could just focus on you know the podcast and focus on following people in the industry and interacting with everybody in the fantasy football community on Twitter. So you can follow me on the new Twitter at Joey Carrion DFS. So when you be in the shower, do you like switch between your two Twitter accounts and just see what's going on on each one or No, nah, I don't I don't I don't do all that. Nah, I just I just scroll down scroll down the feed and, and see what's uh-huh. up, but all right. I'm not on my phone the entire time. <laughs> all right. Uh that's it for us guys. We will talk to you soon.